Washed Up Emo sponsors New Belgium Brewing are celebrating their 30th anniversary as a company. To celebrate, they're releasing Wild Ride Amber IPA, a happy tribute to their iconic fat tire. Even better, New Belgium Brewing are giving away bikes and gear all year. Find out more information by visiting newbelgium.com. Do you ever wonder if your favorite band is emo? Tired of being in the same conversation with friends? Not knowing if you're listening to post-hardcore, screamo, emo revival, emo emo violence, even ska. We're We're here here to to help. help. The Emo Council is here staffed and ready for any question you may have. Hey, Emo Council, just wondering if Green Day was considered an emo band. Thanks. Green Day is not an emo band. Okay. From the creators of Washed Up Emo, isthisbandemo.com offers the definitive answer to the only important question of your day. Hey, is this been emo? This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Welcome to episode 72 of the Washed Up Emo Podcast. I'm Tom Mullen from washedupemo.com. This episode, we speak to Dave and Al from the band Mile Marker. Wondering who this is and why I'm talking to them? Mile Marker were part of the North Carolina punk and hardcore scene in the late 90s. They released a fantastic album on J-Tree. And fun fact, Ben Davis in the band was also in Sleepy Time Trio, one of the best screamo bands ever. Love It Records is releasing their new album overseas on August 26th. Mile Marker's first new music in over a decade. If they're coming to your town, please go see them. A true original from the late 90s. Al and Dave chatted all the way from Germany for this one, so there may be a few audio issues. Hey, it's free. This is episode 72 of the Washed Up Emo podcast with Mile Marker. So we started in 97, or yeah, I think, end of 97. Yeah, yeah. Been, uh, and we started in Chapel Hill. Ben Davis uh, had just moved down from Richmond. And it was me and Ben and Dave that, that were the original. Yeah, yeah. And um, so maybe that's the there's that's, some, that's like the Lovett connection too. I guess there's some weird ones. Yeah, and the Lovett connection comes from Sleepy Time Trio and yeah, and also like North Carolina hardcore stuff because at the time they were doing a lot of <clears throat> Brian was doing a lot of Richmond bands, Sleepy Time, Four Hundred years. years. I mean Max Colby, this type of stuff, and. uh there's a lot of oddly misinformation on the internet about Mile Marker because I've seen a lot of things that said we're from Roanoke or we're from Richmond or we're from somewhere a little bit south, a little bit north of North Carolina. But yeah, the band started. The band started in Chapel Hill in North Carolina. And what were you used? To, were you guys doing the band full time then, or were you had other jobs, or were there other things that brought you down there? Uh, or was it this is the scene that's happening, and this is I'm just trying like. I mean, it's like I can understand when someone just moves to New York because oh, there's a job or there's a bunch of you know stuff going on. What was the catalyst to choosing Chapel Hill? It's definitely not a job. <laughs> it definitely wasn't a job prospect. <laughs> Chapel Hill, real real different frame of mind from New York. <laughs> it was like we were hanging. Like I, I'm I'm from the area. Dave was um, in school studying, and we were just uh, you know it's just like a small town. Not much to do, lots of basements, lots of practice space. I mean, we took the band kind of seriously in a way right off the bat. Or we were like into doing a band, but not the, the concept of like a, doing a professional punk hardcore band in 1997 didn't seem at all like a feasible thing that was going to happen. It wasn't even still not. Basically, Al and I were from North Carolina and, and we both lived there. And for whatever reason, Ben moved to North Carolina from Richmond. I had no idea actually why you he moved him, there anymore. Why he did that. But, but he moved there and I saw a Sleepy Time Trio play at a house show in Greensboro and that was right before Ben moved to Chapel Hill. And 
and they said that there, one of the guys in the band was moving to, to Chapel Hill, and I, I had driven to Greensboro to see the show. And I walked up to Ben, and I was like, oh, I walked up to actually Drew Ringo, I think, and I was like, wait, you moved to Chapel Hill? And he's like, no, our bass player Ben did. And I walked up to Ben, and I was like, we're starting a band together. And, and he was like, okay, cool. Yeah, right. and then and then it happened. And then I met and you had, and then I met Ben like a little while later, working at a job actually at a at a cafe. Like the first day working at the cafe, this guy started talking to me and was like, "Yeah, what are you into, man? I just moved down here, and I'm, I'm really into music. I'm into bands." And I was just like, "Oh man, another band guy." And then you know he's like, "My name's Ben. My name's Al. Oh, we're in a band together." Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's just funny. <laughs> yeah, we had it, yeah, so. yeah, so this is kind of how it this is, it started very impromptu and in like this type of thing. And then uh, you, your guy, you know, the the bands that you mentioned are some of my favorite from that era. Definitely, uh, uh, if it's Sleepy Time or Four Hundred Years, was that were you guys uh, taking influence from anything else, or what gravitated to that type of hardcore over anything else when you guys were putting this stuff together? I think for both of us, it's probably different, different bands and, and different things. I, I think that both both of us were were very involved with this sort of like punk planet heart attack scene that was happening during the time. If I'm not speaking out of line, but that that was kind of the scene that both of our bands were in. Al was in a band called Hellbender, which was doing a lot of touring in the time and released with three LPs and a bunch of singles. Yeah, and um. I guess I, at the time I was I was influenced by a lot of these bands. Like Lovett was releasing, you know, talk about Sleepy Time and 400 Years and this whole kind of like shot maker, heart attack, sort of rough along the edges, screamo type, type music was important to me back then. But I don't really think we, I mean, Sleepy Time Trio, that was a great band, but I, but also I think that uh, my impression, anyway, was we were sort of pretty quickly trying to do something different with the music, just or different from all. Well, the that bands was the idea with the starting line markers. The I'm idea sure. was kind of to do yeah. a band that wasn't like any of the bands that we were in, because it was kind of there. It was getting to be genreistic, or there was getting to be like formula or trope to it, and there was this magazine, Heart Attack. No, no, it was Maximum Rock and Roll, actually. Heart Attack came out of, yeah, out of, it, out yeah, of sure. Maximum yeah. Rock and Roll magazine saying they wouldn't review bands with keyboards because that wasn't punk. So that was sort of the impetus was sort of to be like, let's start a band with keyboards, but like nobody, like it's obviously like going to be like an underground hardcore band, you know? Yeah, and it's funny because the first, I guess our first record was reviewed in Maximum Rock and Roll, and then... The second album, we didn't use guitars. We just wasn't well, no, actually there were guitars on it, but it was written as two keyboards and drums, at least half of it. And then Maximum Rock and Roll wouldn't review it, and they wouldn't re- review the next one and the next one also. I think if I'm correct with that, I don't. I can't. But yeah, but the idea was to sort of mess with things a little bit more than. Um, yeah, we started. We started like doing like um, we we got. Uh, Roby started playing in the band pretty soon, but she started doing like light stuff and and like pyrotechnic stuff, and uh, and that was like also another element trying to do like a visual component. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know. We were just maybe we're trying to be more theatrical or more out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like Iron Maiden with no budget, <laughs> really Iron <laughs> influence at the time. <laughs> Which one was that? Huh? You said you're. I it, it cut out. You said influenced by. I said, I said no, no, influenced by Iron Maiden, but oh. I, it's probably like the uh, the truth meter cut out there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this, new, this new version of Skype has a thing where it cuts out every time I start lying. <laughs> uh, and the, uh, I mean, the. That I mean, that area. There were so many bands to see. There were so many venues. They were all within forty-five minutes of each other, uh, or an hour. Um, were you finding that quickly? It was, 
you know, you were finding like-minded things outside of North Carolina. Um, and what did you kind of feel as it sort of picked up? Meaning the band picked up. Yeah, we were, we were both in, or I mean, we were all in, in touring bands and we were more connected to like the, I'd say like the U S DIY scene than like Chapel Hill music scene. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, th- I think in, in Chapel Hill, it took a pretty long time and, until people would come to our shows and uh, want, like, want to be there. <laughs> we, we, when we started, we did a, we did a lot of agitation. They were like, "Oh, you guys are playing, oh, man!" We did a lot of agitational things in, in Chapel Hill, especially that that we never took on like a touring style basis of playing behind black screens, like in front of us. So nobody could actually see us, but then we were televised in front of it and this sort of thing. So we, I think the experimental thing like hit Chapel Hill, like a little bit harder, but at at the time, I don't think that, uh, I mean, it was almost like you guys were the counter to what, was sort of happening and being popular. Like, like, like you said, maximum rock and roll, not reviewing your stuff. But in the late nineties, you know, this little word emo was definitely floating around and screamo before it got ruined. But you know, those, those words were sort of floating around and a lot of bands were, you know, they were, there was a network, there was, uh, you know, this was a little bit pre-internet there, there was definitely internets going around, but emails, not maybe websites. Um, and it's, it's almost like you guys were, you keep trying to. You were doing something different than what was happening while that word was sort of definitely marinating. Yeah, but I think there's always like some you know, whenever something is sort of it has its moment, there's people up front cheering for it, and then there's people in the back being like, I don't know, you know, I could like I kind of want to do the opposite, you know, and then it's just sort of a matter of time before it comes around to the people in the back's turn. Yeah, and there was also a matter of time before I think that the band sort of found what it was, or not found, but um, the first two records are fairly different than the, <clears throat> most of the rest of the the records, which is the majority of stuff. So I think the first the first two were consciously more um, playing with the ideas of what can we do different, how can we do this of. Yeah, just uh, making to, a record of sampling other bands essentially and putting our vocals on top of that or or trying to take notions from things outside the hardcore scene but still make kind of quasi hardcore records with it. The first record we made, the drummer of Al's old band when we when we gave him a copy of it when Al did, he came up and he's like, you guys made your last record first. <laughs> this is crazy. I can't believe you made this record. Wow. Oh, that's cool. Which I guess would be like a sort of enough Frank Zappa sort of sense. <laughs> he actually said we made our fourth record first. <laughs> fourth record, yeah, okay. But yeah, that's, I mean, I think the... That's a compliment. Well... <laughs> <laughs> I, don't know the first three records. I don't know if the record holds up that well. I think it's a, I think, I mean, I don't know. I think part of, you know, the, the, a lot of it is, or for me anyway, a lot of it was just like, you know, we're not making, it was not like a profitable venture or like something that, that I thought was like going somewhere in any sort of like, there's no stress of audience demand or like, you know, like when you do like an underground thing, you have like freedom. And so we were just like experimenting and just trying, you know, tr- try playing an instrument you don't know how to play or like try, you know, do, yeah, looping samples, like whatever, you know, and some, some of the experiments turn out better than others. <laughs> but, but, you know, I mean, I still, th- I, I still think we, I, you know, our, our record that we just recorded is along the same lines there's maybe more sense of like, Oh, people are going to listen to it. So you don't want to totally rake the fingernails over the chalkboard, but, but still you want to, you want to do stuff for yourself. That's like, Oh, I've never done this before. This is like a new thing for me as well. And not just, I wrote another verse, chorus, verse, chorus, you know? (laughs) And how did you guys end up in Germany? 
That's a good question. Handcuffs. <laughs> for Dave, it was more they wouldn't let him back. Right? Yeah. No. Di- yeah. Different reasons for both of us. Actually, I won't. I won't speak for Al, but uh, I, I moved here because I married a woman from here. So I, it was the decision was either, well, one of us had to move one place, so I chose to move over here. I moved here because my dad married a woman from here. A long so time my, ago. <laughs> so my mom is German. So. Ah. Did you both have? Did you both know the language before going there? Uh, I, I grew up like uh, as a kid. I knew like I grew up bilingual. Dave had to do the hard work. I'm, I'm still monolingual <laughs> <laughs> with, with a couple pieces of different languages. But uh, yeah, my my German's still struggling, unfortunately. Dave is he can totally understand everything. He just is he's he's just like the quiet guy that's like hanging out, yeah. not saying much, but just kind of like nodding, being like yeah, man. yeah. And everybody's like, yeah, you got all that right. And I'm like, yeah, sure, like twenty percent. <laughs> Except I don't understand what that really important word is in the end. <laughs> There's a great, I don't know if you know this, I don't know if you know this, the writer David Sedaris? Yes. North Carolina gone New York guy? Yes. He's he's a really brilliant writer. And he has this really great story about him when he moved to, to, to France, I have right? to say it, I have to say France. Like a, like France. A France. But you don't say that here. Here you say like France. But like, in, but then you sound really pretentious in the US if you say France. So you have to say France. <laughs> so I'll say, like, I'll say it more like Donald Trump would. So when well, he, I, could, when I, he, I won't sidetrack you from the okay. When he moved to France, he couldn't think of <laughs> what's the Greg Norman quote here? <laughs> Strength. <laughs> no. Anyway, when he moved to when he moved to when he moved to France, he um he couldn't figure out how to order one of anything. And this is what the entire story is about. <laughs> because the the whole thing is it changes with the. Uh, can't figure out the singular. The sex of the object changes with the with the pronoun, so it, it's like it, this happens in, in German also. So the basic part of the story was he moved there and he was ordering two and three of everything, and his boyfriend was just like, "You're insane," and he's like, "Well, wait till he tells that to me, you know, next week when it comes Christmas." And I tell him I brought I brought three chickens and four stereo and six pairs of headphones. <laughs> <laughs> but two makes it easy when you go into the plural. So that's kind of what I feel like here. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> and so the uh, and then you guys, uh, you said handcuffs or- originally. You meant that as marriage, correct? No. <laughs> or did someone get arrested and then they, they couldn't leave? I'm totally busted. You want? I didn't think you'd catch that. But oh, I caught it. No, it was, it was it was sort of a joke at first, but now now the metaphor turned real. Um, yeah, the, yeah, yeah. No, I didn't move here. I didn't move here because I had to. I moved here because I because I wanted to. But um, yeah, and now I'm here. So that's that. <laughs> nice. Um, and then you know, how have you guys been able to survive so many moves and member changes? What is it about the two of you that clicks? That keep it going no matter where you are or what else or who else that you're playing with. I mean, it wasn't like a planned out thing that we both ended up in Germany at all. But it was. But since we did, it seemed like we should play music. Um, and as I, I think that like when when it's when when we started doing stuff, we had a similar ethic or ideology about it or a kind of attitude towards it of like we wanted to do a band and we sort of had an idea of you know what that means in terms of touring putting out stuff whatever etc and now i guess maybe we have the roles kind of divided up in some way so that it is it's like um it, it goes forward like it, it works because we kind of know how to work with each other and we know what each other's strengths are. And so, uh, yeah, it's like a, like, uh, it's a, a functional working relationship. Yeah, it works. And it is, it's, it's funny because I'm, 
this whole the mile marker thing started up probably what now two years ago, a year and a half ago or something. It's when we started doing yeah, working on a new mile marker record. Yeah, yeah. And um we we lived in the you know, within three hours of each other from us well at that point I guess about almost five years or so now it's closer to six or six and a half. But we hadn't been playing music together and I was there and I was here and it's not so far away. And then we started playing in a, a kind of like special band. I got out of plan this band that I wanted to do for a special show uh, in Hamburg. And it would, the, the idea idea was very easy. It was sort of like write five minutes of music and play a show. Every band played five minutes and we had 40 bands on the show. So in the end, it was done three and a half hours or so. And we sort of like played that show. And we'd already been talking about playing music together again. But the, that was totally fun to, to reconnect and play music and write that five minutes worth of music together. And then I was like, yeah, we should just like keep on with this. So it felt like totally natural. It didn't feel like the idea of getting something together just to do it, you know, or just, just to have like... I think both in our in my minds, the idea of doing a so-called reunion tour or whatever seems wrong. Like I don't, that's not the focus with anything that we want to keep doing. And that's not the way that we want to go forward is personally or musically, but it's the idea to do, keep doing something new. So that's what the focus has been at the whole time that we've been, you know, recording a new album and new records as mile marker now that you know that will come out in, in the future <laughs> uh the i was gonna say too is you know graphics are a huge part of you know the band and and the visuals and you know who, who in the band does that and you know how do you try to tie that into the song and and the lyrics i think that's a good example of the of the working together is that um uh it's definitely dave with the with the um, graphic ability, computer skills, and and and, but then we have a, a pretty good symbiotic. We have a, we have a a, a good uh, a good thing going with being able to bounce ideas off each other, images off each other, and and uh, stuff like that. It's a nightmare, actually. The whole thing is a nightmare. The whole process, but <laughs> <laughs> but but it is. It, I, it's it's nice to hear you say that because it's, it's definitely important for us, which is why I say it's a nightmare because it, it takes, uh, it's something that's definitely on all of our minds uh, doing this, and especially Alan I's mind. Yeah, um, but it, it's no it's no one person doing any of this stuff. So I am normally the person in charge of the computer part of it, but the actual. Uh, the actual thing of what's displayed is uh, is a totally collective thing that goes through a lot of try to make a lot of a lot of emails and phone calls <laughs> and sending things back and forth. This is a actual realization of the internet being a, a pro and con because sometimes it would just be nicer to get together for six hours and be like, okay, these are our options. This is what we can go for. What's that mean? What's that mean? What are we trying to say with that? Okay. We go with this. And then, and then tying it into the song and lyrics. Yeah. I mean, the, let's always kind of come like, I I think we kind of developed a, developed sort of a a thing that we're trying to get across or, or sort of what the, what the, what the, the general theme or idea or message of the band is. Um, I, I guess maybe there's like sort of, there's some, there's some kind of level where I would say if, if like Dave's strong point is the technical graphic aspect, maybe the thing that I'm, uh, you know, uptight about is the consistency of what, you know, the message or whatever, like having it sort of, you know, having it be something that like, yeah, you can look at more than once or you can think about for more than 20 minutes and, and be like, Oh, some people put some thought into this and it's not just like random 
Yeah, true. I, I was good at I was good at tying together the the concepts and and sort of roping everything along in that sort of ideological and uh, way. I mean, he <laughs> and that's like what well, the thing that I like. What got me into music was kind of more the 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 LP, like the package, like the whole thing, like not just the music, but this kind of object where you get like the record cover and the lyric sheet and the music and the, what all the elements kind of are like, uh, and you know, an art package that said that communicates something. And that's kind of, I, I always liked records like that. And that's sort of the, yeah, the thing I would like to make basically. How could you, yeah. How could you not like those things? I mean, those were the kind of fundamentals of the whole, the whole thing. I mean, I think it's like long forgotten, but I also think that you're, um, very good at still keeping that ideology going, like still good at like doing it where a lot of people don't care about it anymore. Well, it's not cause it's not really the, the way that people consume music has changed. And so it's not, you know, a lot of times people are like the vinyl is just to show that it's legit and not just, uh, MP3s. And it's not, you know, it's, it's, it's just like a part of the, yeah, right. You know, it's not the, not that I'm like a big like vinyl guy exactly, but it's it's more just like when I was growing up, there was a different way of it was just you know it was a different yeah, thing. but it didn't matter. But if you get the the Dead Kennedys tape, it was still like the same thought was put behind the packaging of the yeah, tape sure. as it right, was right. the LP or, or right. whatever. So and and this is what defined the whole sort of like punk underground movement of having people in discharge patches and crass patches and whatever, and blah, 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 you know, mm. on and on. Or even, I just saw the like 20 best record punk record covers according to Rolling Stone. I think it was the Rolling Stone thing. This record covers? Yeah. Punk record covers exclusively. I and could, I actually, it's funny. I could care less what Rolling Stone says, but what did they say? <laughs> They, they butcher so much crap now that it's like I don't. I mean, it's I can't stand when they do a forty this or a hundred that. Yes, you can't include everything, but it just seems like I don't know. It's written by someone that just graduated from college. Well, Crass did make it. Dead Kennedys did make it. Patty Smart, Patty, Patty Smith horses made it. But the one that the one that really shocked me, well, they they had some that were like borderline punk. So it's like Talking Heads, Stop Making Sense, made it, I think. So this is like proto punk or something. Yeah. I guess I yeah. would quite, I would put that in that sort of category. Yeah, I'm just thinking though. But the, the, the one that shocked me that made it like number three, number four was Green Day Dookie. Do you, uh, okay. can you, can you a, imagine? That's a, that's a question of taste, that, I guess. Yeah, but do you know the record cover? <laughs> yeah, it's like a pretty intricate cartoon cover. Yeah, I mean, but like all maidens graphic program illustrator it just like i don't know it just it just like shocked me because i was like then you have the ramones ramones is like number one or whatever right it's the most punk record cover that ever existed and i was like the crass record covers are really intricate and the crass record covers are um, really really good yeah that's that's really great yeah but anyway whatever now there's a uh if you ever want to dive into uh, like sort of a punk discussion. Um, there's this site Polygraph, and they have a whole thing on punk. And the idea is that it takes these subgenres and based on Spotify playlists, which isn't you know it's the public, the Spotify playlist, people that make playlists. What bands based on the name of their playlist? What bands are most punk? It's really interesting. There's post punk. There's a whole these subgenres. So um, it's something to uh, dive into if you guys are interested because it is based on taste, um, but it is interesting to see what bands come out on top um, and what eras too. Um, it's it's actually pretty pretty crazy to think because <laughs> there's these some bands that live on and some bands don't. Uh, Sort of like when you watch a movie and you're like, wow, that did not age well. <laughs> Sometimes same things happen with music. I think that definitely happens, and it's sort of interesting to see what uh, what what goes over, what ages well and what doesn't. Yeah. Because there's some things that are so popular in the moment and then just completely forgotten, and then there's some things that are kind of like creepers. They, you know, they may not even be really that... 
that uh, acknowledged at the time, but then they sort of, it seems like now there's sort of a thing where bands are coming back and they're much more popular than they were at the time that they existed. Definitely true. Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah. yeah. And then the, um, you know, it's actually, I was, I had forgotten about this and someone reminded me. So I love that there are people that, uh, when I, when I do these interviews, they, they remind me, um, you guys had used fire as part of your live show. And is that something that you guys are going to be doing in the future? <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, <laughs> the, actually the, the, um, the great white incident put us out of the fire business. Yes. Yeah, we did a we did a U.S. tour right after that, and we were like we were sort of known as a band that used fire, and it was like every show we played. Uh, I mean, every show that happened that whole around that period of time was like Great White. Yeah, right after the Great White thing, we had like a sold out U.S. tour because every venue had to like actually comply by their fire code capacity. <laughs> so we would have these like one-third full venues that would be sold out and they'd be like please 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 don't use any fire you know? <laughs> yeah. and so we kind of the fire was i mean I, w- I will say we were like extremely irresponsible with it and and like we're pretty lucky that we like got through that phase without being great white ourselves explain to <laughs> some people what what got what's what some of the fire things you were doing well i'll set roby that's like the end. That's the that's the come that's on. The end. Come on. That's, that's when she quit twice. Yeah, but it started <laughs> off. You can't start at the end. It started off basically Ben Davis because he was used to being kind of the front guy for the Sleepy Time Trio, and then he was then he was playing drums, and he was like, you know, so he was sort of uh, it started vi- with visually drums, demoted yeah. to the back, and so he responded to this by dousing his drum set in lighter fluid and setting it on fire. He would like turn the symbols over too and fill them. So yeah, when he would hit them, there would be these like plumes of flame that would like hit the ceiling of the clubs and it would go like six or eight feet. It and was then cool he'd, looking. He'd put it on his floor tom. He'd like uh, put lighter fluid all through his floor tom, and then when he did a drum roll on his floor tom, that would also go up like four to six feet. And that was really that was really impressive looking. Yeah, it looks it looked, looked, it looked awesome. totally great. It wasn't, you know, when when Ben started playing drums, he'd been playing bass in Sleepy Time Trio, and when Ben started playing drums in Mile Marker, we had no drum kit. And so a friend in Chapel Hill gave us his old drum kit, and Ben did this to it and started lighting it on fire every night. And then the guy didn't care. He was totally cool with it. Actually, his name's Cam. Cam gave him the drum kit, I'm pretty sure. And... Uh, but th- by the end, that 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 drum kit looked like firewood, um, <laughs> because Ben lit it on fire every every really? chance he could get, and it sort of pinnacled at one point. We were playing in New Mexico at a at a, at a bookstore, and right and setting on setting they, girls on fire. In they the really were They did they, this is before Great White, and, but then we just started doing it. And they ran yeah, see, up that's in the, the middle of it, and they're like, "This is not cool. It's a bunch of books that are like fifty years old." <laughs> that's <laughs> and, the kind and of thing yellow. that you think back like, on, don't... and you're like, "And you're like, started a large fire in a fucking bookstore." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> at a punk show with fifty people at it, with like one door out, with books everywhere around. And then we had the then we we had we moved to um, uh, like spitting fire, you know, like putting. Um, grain alcohol in the mouth and then like blowing it onto a lighter uh, to that was also like huge plumes of flame that caught the audience on fire sometimes. And Roby made those special and Roby, wings. Roby had the best she had, one. She yeah. had this, she had this thing where <clears throat> it was basically like a wick of a candle that went along her arms. So was, she basically had this like illusion where she would sort of stand in this sort of crucified kind of posture with her arms on fire also looked awesome that's yeah. great also lit her on fire quite a few times yeah, there was like, a, uh, <laughs> she did she did have no arm hairs in this period yeah yeah true yeah there was a lot, a lot of fire for some uh, for some point and it was fires it was fun and yeah, it was it was fun um uh, i think something kind of nice i mean i don't know we you know we 
didn't really do things because we were trying to become like the Rolling Stones or something like this. We we did them because we thought it would be interesting to see a band do that. It's also like playing small, you know, the era that we did all this stuff was like playing like little basement shows. And yeah, stuff exactly. Like that. And so it was point. really like, it was, it was, it was sort of on this line of like actually dangerous that, you know, is that that's kind of the difference of like, it's not a, it's not a, like you go to a club and see a staged event. It's like something is a little out of hand. It wasn't, it wasn't, yeah, yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't, um, it was basically all done because we we're totally stupid, but having a great time doing it. I mean, down to the point where in the van, we, we had this idea of being like, you know, we should have this giant jar of pills in the van and one of them should be cyanide. And then, you know, <laughs> who every night before we play a show, we should each take one pill. And then you never know if you're going to die that night. So you should just do it. And then we play every show like it's like we're gonna be the like craziest band in the world. And we really thought about doing this. Or the so bait that shop. Was, that was no the bait joke. shop. We were in Florida, and we were like, we should just go to one of these bait shops and get like five thousand crickets and just <laughs> yeah. release them at the show. Yeah, it'll be like the plague of locusts, man. It's total. Yeah, we had a, we had a lot of ideas. But we spent a lot of time in the van together, <laughs> ideas. And no, the other thing is, we didn't have anything else that, that 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 we wanted. You know, it was like that was what we wanted it was to be in this van with those four people, and and to keep just keep going like that for forever. So the the you know, in a way, it was like a a horse with like these whatever you call them blinders, like blinders on, and um. That was a dream. Like we were living the dream. I mean, the the dream was maybe playing Athens, Georgia, to fifteen people that thought we were like extremely religious. Or we got that a lot too. They're extremely religious. Yeah, for strange reasons. But yeah, it happened. Why? That's random. It's not like you were on tooth and nail or anything. It wasn't random. It was because we were doing you know, like we were playing preacher we samples playing like, between like songs. Uh, ah fundamentals preacher tapes and and doing we were doing we were we were sort of pushing it but the i guess i i guess there was like and it's you know we had this like apocalypse theme but <laughs> assumed it was going to be taken in some sort of ironic way and then would you know play tons of shows in the south where people would come up and be like i really appreciated the, the christian message oh lord <laughs> well i don't know it's like you know all right you know yeah but it you know, the fire, the crickets, I get it, I see what you're doing. <laughs> the for. fire, the crickets, the, yeah, the, <laughs> fire, the preachers, you know? But there was a, obviously exactly the opposite of what we're, we were going after. <laughs> but some stuff sticks, some doesn't, you know? Yeah, we just, you know, see how you like... You know, the, the, the point was to freak people out. Yeah. And, and you know, I think, too, the... Um you know, you guys uh, having the reissue coming out on Love It um, of Frigid Forms. It's uh, sort of funny that it was on Love It, then Jade Tree, and now back on Love It. Can you can you talk about it a little bit that that record specifically? Well, that that record specifically, I think the Jade Tree did the CD of it. They never did the vinyl of it, and it it was left in the professional dealings between Lovett and Jade Tree that, that Lovett could do the vinyl again. Um, so that's that's nice because that record's been out of print for a long time on vinyl. But yeah, it was originally the, the full record was released on Lovett and then that was right at the time or maybe a year after that record was out then we, we went over to Jade Tree and then Jade Tree bought the rights for that record from Love It, and then just did the, the CD. So I think it's I, it's great to be working with, with Brian again. He's been really involved with everything we've been doing since uh, for the last year and a half or so. So that's, that's a really nice thing. Yeah, for people that maybe don't know, what, what other stuff do you guys have? Um, you know, working on with with love it. There's a there's a seven inch right as well. Yeah, we put out a new seven inch, and we have a we recorded a new full length that we're putting out with love it as well. Yeah, so he's doing. He did the 
this self-titled seven inches out now, and then the frigid form cell reissue comes out. I think in July, June or July, possibly, and then the new record, uh, new full length, should be out in, in August. And that times with the uh, U.S. tour, correct? Exactly. When's the last time you were guys here for, I am, you know, and again, all this like mushes together into one thing and I'm sure other people are wondering. So, but when was the last time you guys were here for shows? And don't say six months ago. Cause then I sound like an idiot. 1987. <laughs> uh, I think it was the last time we did it was an eight. I think. I don't know what we did in 2008. I think we played South by Southwest maybe a Chicago show and maybe a North Carolina show. And we did a small tour of, of Germany at that same time. But the last real tour we did of the U S was in 2005. That's rad. I'm like, I'm excited for you guys to get here. <laughs> I think it's been, it's been a minute. Just, just the, uh, have you felt any, you know, with, uh, I mean, there's been some announcements of some of the shows. I know there's a St. Vitus show, which is the coolest place to play in New York City. Um, uh, so that's always a good one. Have you felt any other response or anything um, as this thing gets here this summer? I've been pretty psyched. People seem like they're, or people have been getting in touch with me about it and seem like they're excited about it, which is beyond my expectation. Yeah. I'm ha- I'm happy to do it, and if people care, then that's great. Yeah, it, se- it seems like it's going good. My my um, since the tour was announced a couple of weeks ago, though, my email has been busy. That's great, <laughs> which is, which is a good thing. Uh, and nice. I'm really excited to to be back there. And also, we're trying to set up the tour so we play with a bunch of friends bands and in, in the cities that we're in. So I'm excited about the way that a lot of these bills are coming together. So I think it should be fun shows. That almost feels like an old school, you know, tour where you've got the local band that's a friend of yours and you you would do the same thing in the other city. Um, that seems very, very, very nineties of you. Yeah. That's what we're trying to do. But it's a cool thing too, to kind of realize like, yeah, we're going to do this tour. Okay. Here's the, here's the cities, here's the dates. And then you start realizing like, Whoa, here's all the people that we're going to see. And here's, you know, here's, it's like, you, you just realize like there's a lot of friends, a lot of, a lot of your old friends are still playing in bands, you know? And I mean, it's cool. Yeah. It's like, that's you, awesome. It's like the human uh, element of it is what makes it worth doing for sure. Yeah. It's also totally great that a, a lot of the, when we started looking through the cities, you know, it's like, where are we going to stay at, at, you know, in these cities? I mean, we should try to stay with friends where, where possible. And looking through all the cities, like, oh, there's two cities we don't know somebody. And I was like, and I was like, no, actually, you know, that guy from Chicago moved there. We gotta bug him. And I was like, oh yeah, okay. There's one city on the whole tour where we don't have a good friend that that's living there, and that's a really nice feeling. And it's also nice that a lot of the cities where I'm like, oh, we should get this band to play, and our booking agent says, um. You know, their band's actually too big. It doesn't make sense to play together because, uh, for whatever, like, political, not political reasons, but for, like, it doesn't make sense to play if if, if both bands could sell out the place together. I mean, right, right, like, right, one right. by each of them could sell out the place by themselves or whatever. And that makes me, like, really, really happy to... Uh, and a lot of those people played in mile marker before. <laughs> so it's like, I'm really happy to, to be like, okay, cool. You guys went on to like do pretty awesome stuff and you're, we can't play together now, but that's, that's like totally random. I'm psyched to see them every time they come here. And, um, I'll be really happy if they're, they're at the shows we play there, but it, but it feels good that my friends have like continued to go on to do cool stuff. So is there anything you guys want anyone to sort of know or that's the process or just anything about the new record? Um, what you're happy about, what you're stoked on, what what you haven't done before, anything? Uh, it's, uh, the record's called Overseas. It um, came out great. The, the, I guess the um, lineup that we're playing with is really like, uh, 
really good. Like really just like really like feels very like organic band. Like really it's super fun to practice. It was super fun to record it. We got uh, Greg Norman from electrical audio in Chicago came over to Berlin and, uh, engineered it. And, um, and he's also like a real old friend of ours. We met him on our, our first tour in 1997 or 1998. He recorded Malmark almost he, 20 years ago. Yeah. I mean, wow. he, and, and, and he's gone on to do amazing things. Yeah. You know, and, and, uh, the whole, I know it's cool. Like the, actually the, the drummer that's playing with us right now is in a more popular, uh, oh, no. band. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and the keyboard player has basically never played in a touring band. So there's like yeah. a, um, there's like a discrepancy. It's like, there's, there's sort of like all the, all the, uh, vantage points are there. Like, it's cool to see, uh, people get like psyched about doing new stuff. Yeah. You know? Yeah. We wouldn't have done, we wouldn't have done the record. It wouldn't have happened if it wasn't, if, if the lineup didn't come together. Uh, in a in a fun way for for everybody, and that that's the thing that's sort of most important, uh, I think, to me anyway, is to to have everything take on a fun shape and and make sense and have fun. Um, and the people, it's a really nice influence between between everybody. I think with the record, and then the keyboard player comes from a different scene than. I think that, I mean, she also plays in one of Al's other bands. Uh, but I think she comes from a different scene than, than we've been used to playing. Like, you know, she doesn't come from a punk hardcore background. She comes from a different, She's like totally a different background. Scene. Yeah. Which is... And this has been really interesting playing because this is always something that that Mile Markers kind of... <laughs> we've been kind of like a fake electronic like, yeah, punk like band we want to be like electro but we like don't know what we're talking about basically. and now now she comes into the picture and she's like oh man that shit's not like electro or dub it has to be more like this yeah, she's and like, you're like right, right. really she's like that beat was a fucking over like 15 years ago and <laughs> yeah like, oh, i didn't know <laughs> so it's cool and then the drummer comes in and is like we always try to do electronic drums with our stuff and we, we did a lot of electronic drum stuff but he's like no, I'm going to play electronic drums live, like while you're playing. Not while you're playing, while we're playing, you know. Yeah, but it's like, like he's, it's cool. He's, like he he like, has that whole thing worked out. So it, it, it's it, it's in a way, it's like those sort of it all it all fits together in a really natural, like cool way. Where I'm like, oh wow, cool. I don't have to like I don't have to like hit the sampler while we're playing and hope it goes on time and it probably won't and then we. Get, totally fuck up the song but you know right. <laughs> that's the way it goes you guys are still no, learning yeah yeah i know it's like yeah, still, right, right, we're still trying to figure right, right. Yeah. still trying to figure it out yeah world's well, yeah, world's like, oldest learners <laughs> i mean i think that's great you guys just the what you were you just you know it sounds happy it sounds that it felt organic the band together felt organic the tour made sense going back to love it you know, for this new record, um, or, you know, even you guys, I know you guys are doing something with, um, uh, you know, with, uh, you're doing another split seven inch with another band. It's sort of that whole, uh, thing that I think a lot of people could learn from is that, uh, and, you know, people listening that, you know, a, a band or a, or a, or a mentality or a, a feeling can continue on no matter where you are or who you're playing with. Um, and it can take many shapes. And I mean, did you guys think that you would be back in August of 2016 to the U S and having a new record? I mean, I don't know, maybe, maybe you did in the future, but sometimes you can't see that far. Um, and it's great that you guys are still interacting like this and keeping on the name because I think people, I know I really appreciate when a band kind of changes and keeps, like I said, you guys are still learning. You guys had the, the girl in the band that says, you guys are, you, you guys don't know what that is. This is it. And then, all right, well, in, <laughs> in 2016, you learn that. Um, and it's, I think that's something that I think a lot of people can take from. Yeah, maybe. I hope so. I think the challenge is on them. You know, <laughs> it, when we play there, let's see what they think. <laughs> that's always the wild card. Yeah, I think we can keep doing. Me and Al can t keep doing what we want. You know what we do forever, and then it's long been a discussion between us of we're going to be in the old folks' home, like you know, in wheelchairs, and being like, 
no, it should go more like this. No, it should go more like that. But we're like, not quite there yet, so <laughs> that's, that's good. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's good <laughs> for us anyway. Yeah, but who knows? Then that's, you, like the, <laughs> that's like the new rock paradigm, though, right? It's like it's not like live fast, die young anymore. It's like you know, get old, put out your best record when you're like seventy, and then like you know, <laughs> yeah. But that's that's probably like both messed up actually, because all, like everybody else is like keeping going, but it is like sort of like live old, get slower, and get a tour on my my kids' schedule or whatever. Uh-huh. But we've sort of so we're, we're like we're we're like completely in denial. So it's sort of like <laughs> live fast, die a little bit older, right, right, but live, like you know, still live, going and live fast and live forever. Yeah, <laughs> I, I like that. No, I think too. And then you know, I think if you guys are in the old folks' home, you guys are probably going to be able to talk telepathically. Like, there's probably going to be some way where you can just touch your brain. And, you know, Dave, Al can just hear what you're saying. Or, oh, you want me to play the G then? Got it. And you could be in two different rooms. Because, you know, the future. You never know. I think we'll probably just, like, look across the hall from each other and be like, "Mm -mm." (laughs) 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 Like, no more music. I'm done with that shit. You ruined my life. I made no money. I can't even hear you. (laughs) And you don't even know how to play chess. (laughs) What? <laughs> yeah, you guys would be in your own wing just saying what to each other back and forth. <laughs> yeah, that is going to be like the future. It's like the old, old people that are, are the deaf rockers <laughs> being a wing screaming at each other. What did you say? <laughs> Turn on Slayer! <laughs> I, I remember Slayer used to be louder when I was a kid. <laughs> Washed up emo fans, thank you for listening to this podcast over the last nine plus years. Or if it's your first time, welcome. It has flown by, and I appreciate each and every one of you for listening and for this current episode you're about to hear. I do have a favor of you. I have some books out right now called Anthology of Emo, and Volume 2 was released last fall. I really think you'll dig it if you haven't heard of them. It features guests from the podcast, including Jim Atkins from Jimmy World, Chris Conley from Saves the Day, Travis Shuttle from Piebald, and John Bunch from Sensefield. I've also reprinted volume one so you can order both check out the diy publishing at anthologyofemo.com